Welcome back, everyone, to a new episode of Thanos to Theos. We are a podcast for youth and student workers, and we're committed to reaching teens with the gospel, featuring conversations ranging from comics and culture to theology and ministry. Thanos being the the more fun culture comic side of it, and Theos being the theology and ministry side. And we are so grateful to be part of the Rooted Family of Podcasts, which also includes other podcasts like Ask Alice, All About Boys, and the Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast. So we really encourage you to check out the rest of Rooted's ministry and resources online. To do so, check out the website at www.rootedministry.com. I'm one of your hosts, Clark Phobes, and here are my co-hosts. I'm Mike McGarry. And I'm Kevin Yee. So we're going to take a, a path in this episode a little bit off of our norm of comics and into the realm of Star Wars because of the the hot and the new take of Mandalorian, the new season that's out and how it's doing so well. The foundlings are the future. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. So we wanted to talk about that a little bit, just our overall impressions and where we're at. And, uh, and even if there's any lessons we're learning or redeeming qualities as we do want to theologize a little bit when it comes to the world of comics. And so Star Wars is, you know, not what we usually talk about, but it's still part of the Disney family. And it's also still very much in the comics realm. Well, so, and they have like multiple comic They do, yes. Threads and stuff and Marvel right. Unlimited that are Star right. Wars. There are Star Wars comics. So so given all that, um, general impressions, how are you with the Star Wars universe in general? Because we've never talked about it yet on this podcast. And how does the Mandalorian shore up to it? All right. So this is the best thing that has happened to us since the pandemic's hit. Okay. It's Mandalorian <laughs> season two. <laughs> Not Look. Easter or anything. <laughs> Mandalorian. In, in, in Los Angeles, there is no movie theaters. All of the big things that we were looking forward to watching in the summer have been taken away. So... Mandalorian season four, uh, season two, sorry, we've gone through four episodes so far, um, has been the, the highlight of the fall so far. Um, no, I, I have a love-hate relationship with Star Wars. Um, love the original trilogy. Hate uh, the others. <laughs> um, not as enthusiastic about the prequels and the sequels. Uh, mixed relationship there, too. Uh-huh. Yeah. There was a lot of good things about them, but there were also a lot of uh, sort of retreading of the same ground again. And so Mandalorian has felt like a breath of fresh air into the Star Wars universe. Something that's, you know, far away from the Skywalker family and all the drama there and this idea that they're the only people in the universe that matter. Um, And yeah, it's it's been really cool to have something to watch every single week, uh, to be able to talk about it with my kids. Yes, I've allowed my kids to watch it. They're so into it. We got the Lego Razor Crest set, and they've been playing. <laughs> awesome! It's, it's nice. actually a really good Lego set. <laughs> so, who enjoys it more, you or them? They enjoy it so much more. They got Mandalorian costumes for Halloween. Oh you know? wow! Yeah, we, they went all out. They love the show. Oh, wow. The character, Baby Yoda, or the child, or the asset. I don't know. At some point, they got to name him, right? They do, yeah. And it's going to be terrible searching for any references. Because at some point... Is I don't it know, the love child of Yoda and Yaddle? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Who knows what they're going to do. But that that character, Baby Yoda, is so cute. Everything he does is gold. Yes. E- even when he eats, like, children eggs. Yeah. And, like... <laughs> or whole frogs. <laughs> yeah. 
It's like, Even... I'm the last of my kind, and these are the last eggs of my species. Yoda's like, mmm, yum. Ow. <laughs> Breakfast. <laughs> yeah, I will say for The Mandalorian, it has probably been uh, the only... I shouldn't say the only thing, but one of the things I look forward to the most on a week-by-week basis now. I love Fridays now because of it. Um, <laughs> not just because it's the end of the work week for most people, but because... <laughs> Every day is a Friday now. Come on. <laughs> it's Mando Day. Mando Day. But I, I would have to agree, too, that... Um, I, so I grew up loving Star Wars. My dad showed me the original trilogy when I was a kid. And then when they did the the remastered versions in uh, forget when that was like late the late nineties, he took me to the historic theater where where they first opened where he first watched it, um, and we watched it there and it was just like such a such a fun experience watching the original trilogy in the theaters and then you know one two and three came out and um, aside from Darth Maul it was a bust <laughs> uh, and. I liked the the most recent trilogy, the way it was going in the beginning with J.J. Abrams leading the helm, and then it just kind of took this weird turn where it became, like you said, a, a repeat of the original trilogy, basically. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I don't really love them. I thought actually Rogue One was the best Star Wars movie that we got, and then with Mandalorian outside of the original trilogy, outside, of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah, okay. and then uh, with the Mandalorian, it's just been such a fun way. And I think for me, it's not—it's the story, yes. But you know, we can also—we uh, know Mike kind of hates the story and how it's going. But I don't hate the story. The- <laughs> <laughs> you can you can state your case. Just set but- me up as the bad guy just to start <laughs> off. But I will say, for me, what's been most impressive is the visual effects and the quality. For mm-hmm. a TV series, it's been amazing. Like, yeah, I, I feel good. like it's even on par, if not better, than some of the movies have been. Yeah. Um, so that's been just really cool, seeing how much they're they're just being so true to the heart of Star Wars and the original effects, and uh, it's just really well done. I like Star Wars. Grew up on Star Wars. Um, I'm the youngest of four, and all my older siblings were into it. Um, so yeah, I mean, big fan. But I just prefer Star Trek. Um, I think that Star Trek is a more consistent. I know, I know, total geek. Um, But I think that Star Trek is a more consistent universe because I feel like Star Wars, like, you just use the force to be able to do whatever the writers want them to be able to do in that episode. So, I don't know. Um, but I, so I'm totally enjoying the Mandalorian season, but we just have these text threads, the three of us. And I'm like, oh, good. Something actually happened this episode. Like, I feel like every episode is a MacGuffin and like you just throw something in and it seems like something, but it's not. It's just some fake thing that they throw in to make it seem like something's going to happen. But then it turns out to be like, oh, no, no big deal. That person just randomly needed to be transported across the universe. And then you drop them off and then they're gone. Like, what the heck is up with the egg lady? Like, why was she so important? <laughs> who is she? Like, who is her husband? How do they know these people? Like, there's no 
background story. Like, she's totally just a pawn for moving him to somewhere else. But, like, it's called the Mandalorian. We're not that interested in the frog lady. But, like, ah, it's just so annoying. You're such so, a hater, Mike. I'm not a hater, <laughs> but I just wish that. You, you want them to be the main devel- characters developed? <laughs> no, I just want them to have, I don't know, like. More than they had developed. Like, there should be a reason. Actually, did she even have a name? No. I don't think she did. It's just Frog they Lady. They couldn't even speak to each other. So, I don't know. I just feel like these episodes are just a string of... Um, Mando goes to Planet X to discover information A. And then he gets duped into doing... You know, this thing by that person in order to get information A, and then he moves on to the next place. Okay, but arguably, isn't that exactly how the Star Trek series are? <laughs> Clark. They just travel to different galaxies, no, meet they're some actually random rescuing species. People. You, you at least, like, discover stuff about the people who they go and rescue. But then they move on, and you never see those galaxies. That's not always again. true. No, that's not always true. Sometimes they, like, join the cast or whatever. All right, Clark, who's the hater now, all right? <laughs> I'm, just trying to, I'm just trying to understand you and why you like Star Trek oh, better. Man, if you can understand me, then my wife will really be like, all right, let me talk to Clark. <laughs> uh, maybe it's a, uh, you know, a vain task. Yeah, good luck with that. But if you think about Mandalorian, there have been a recurring cast of characters. Like, yeah. most recently we saw that general woman who i just learned was an mma fighter before mandalorian you didn't know uh, that didn't i didn't know that in. i didn't know that yeah so and all she of was her... on the um uh american gladiators yeah so apparently yeah, all her stunt scenes were real like she did yeah, all those she, like, which yeah makes her even more cool than i thought right. but yeah you know she came back and she's had a couple of episodes where she's been involved in yeah that's been good so oh, i get what I you're just, saying th- though. There, there there were a few episodes in a row where it was like nothing happened. I, I so the the I, most recent the, the the last few have been good because there's actually because they're moving stuff the plot like, along. Yeah, they're actually yeah. moving the plot along. But in season one, there was like a two episode yes. stretch where I was like, this episode could just not exist, and they would lose nothing yeah. in the story. And where there's so few episodes in the season, to have one that you could pull out of the story and nothing would get lost from the overall story. I just think that's bad storytelling. Okay, I I can get what you're saying because I felt that way in the first season. Yeah. There the first was just season that was definitely worse about that than this yeah, season. Yeah, there was just this like thread at the end of each episode that reminded us there's this overarching storyline. Mm-hmm. And I felt that way where they were all individual episodes until the last one or two episodes where it all started coalescing and every, almost every person he encountered in the previous episodes came into play. And came back in the end. So that's where, to me, they started tying all the threads together. I really enjoyed that. But I do think for the second season, they've been a lot more intentional uh, about keeping the thread going throughout each episode. But to me, what even though I even though like I, I feel some of the same way you're saying, the reason for me I kind of understand is because it's this is kind of how like older TV was, right? Like each episode was almost a standalone. And maybe there was this ongoing thread, but you really just watched it for that one adventure. Um, but also, I, I love the fact that they're pulling in all these other directors. 
So they're allowing all these various directors, a lot of them being, you know, MCU, Disney, uh, family of directors to put their own spin on it. So you get this different flavor each time. Um, so to me, that's what helps keep it fresh because of the variety of directing voices that we're seeing. It's the MCU to save Star Wars. Yes, it is. That is legitimately what is happening. And I love it. I'm here for every single episode. But yeah, to 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 the idea that it's, you know, every each each episode can be standalone. I don't know. I kind of miss that about TV. Yeah. You don't have to feel like you have to binge every single it's episode. It's not so intense, you know. Yeah. You kind of just enjoy it for the one one off. Yeah. I think there's something good about that. I've noticed the that my kids, cause, you know, they watch cartoons mostly. <laughs> right. <laughs> to sit down and watch something as intense as Mandalorian, like the the episode. Uh, it's a spoiler alert for season two, but uh, the episode with the spiders. Like my youngest <laughs> oh, yeah. was like, after he ate, after Baby Yoda ate that initial spider, which was gross, and then all the other spiders started coming out, like my youngest, like his back went, he stood up on the couch and his back went up against the wall. And he was like, like crawling at the wall, trying to leave the room. Like It was so, it was so intense for him. But it's and how old's your youngest? He, I'm not gonna reveal his age. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want people to judge my parenting. He, he loves the show, though. Parenting and win. He, and he didn't have any nightmares, so parenting win. It's crazy how much he uh, looks forward to the show and the visual effects of the show. It's just such a well done show, from beginning to end. Um, and it's crazy how big the scale has gotten. Yeah. Right. Like, it's actually gotten bigger in scale, and I keep wondering how they do it. Yeah. Even knowing the the behind-the-scenes stuff, it's crazy. Well, they're even... What I appreciate about the second season more is they're they're dropping in all these Easter eggs and hints and tie-ins to the overall Star Wars universe. Whereas, like, season one, it felt pretty contained. You know, you had some, like, nods to different characters or events in the Star Wars universe. But now season two, it's very much part of star wars canon as a whole so i think that's where for me the season two has been a bit better about tying these threads in what mike was saying um and keeping the narrative going keeping me excited about the next episode so how much have you guys followed like the other star wars canon stuff because i haven't really like I clone wars and rebels wars. and yeah yeah i you know, I tried. So many people have constantly told me I gotta watch Clone Wars if I like Star Wars, and I've I've watched like four seasons, and I still just cannot get into it. It's just I don't I don't really get it. I don't get the hype, um, and it's kind of all over the place to me. Like I think, I think they try to do this overarching story arc maybe a little too much to the point where I don't really know what's going on. And it's out of order. Like, if you watch the show, it's out of chronological order. So you have to kind of piece things together as you're watching. What? Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's not in chronological order. That's confusing. That's super weird. It is super what's weird. Up, what's up with Star Wars telling stories like the movie Memento? That's strange. Uh, yeah, I know, huh. right? I hope The Mandalorian, though, doesn't get weighed down by a lot of the other Star Wars stuff. Like, I enjoy the fact that there's now connections to Clone Wars specifically. Yeah. Um, but I haven't watched Clone Wars, so I'm okay being in the dark a little bit about all that right, stuff. Right, right. 
Um, but I just don't want it to get weighed down by too much. Because then yeah. I feel like the Star Wars culture does things to the property that aren't good, which is what I think happened to the movies. Yeah, yeah. You have specific people complaining about this and then that. Although that's what Star Wars is known for, is for doing these things. Well, it's retconning? like, um, yeah, yeah, retconning. Yeah. That's their main thing. Some yep. mistake shows up and then they retcon the character uh-huh. Star Wars. Like, so I don't know if you guys knew, but in episode four, the last one that just came out, um, there was a extra in the back or a, or a crew member in the back. I heard about and that. You could see that. Yeah, yeah. It's a dude wearing jeans and a t-shirt in the back of one of the shots <laughs> of, the, of the battles in the uh, Imperial's uh, lab, the stronghold. Yeah. And people were saying that there's already a backstory for this character and how they ended up in the Star Wars <laughs> universe. <laughs> That's so typical of that. So that was so an oversight, ridiculous. and now they're going to retcon it to actually fit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Star Wars <laughs> is so good at that. But that's why it's such an inconsistent universe, I would say. Yeah, it is. It is. Because they try to make it all consistent. So yeah. you say it, and Clark agrees. I say it, and it's all like, no, 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 oh, no, 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 no. We're saying different hater. things. We're saying different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stop being a Moff Gideon, man. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I, I agree it's inconsistent they retcon I do partially agree that each episode could be just a one off but I also think there's they're doing a good job of keeping the threads going where I want to stay involved in watching so and hey, with the I still watch you know, it every week too but, but you loathe at... it after every episode no I don't by texting us all your annoyances and complaints about it I, I'm never going to criticize anything to you ever again Clark is that is that what will make you happy it's funny though because after this last episode sunshine and rainbows Clark after this last episode Ken was like I can already hear Mike's complaints in my head (laughs) (laughs) but okay one thing about the show so let's theologize a little bit one thing about the show that I find really interesting is the whole idea of uh, the Mandalorian as sort of a religious cult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was so intriguing in season one. Uh, they kind of pull at those threads a little bit in season two. And I and I really hope they kind of run with that because it's so, um, it's so much a part of his identity. Like the fact that he won't take his helmet off. Right, right. That's a uh, very specific thing. And it turns out it's not all Mandalorians, true Mandalorians. It's part of the cult that he was raised in. Yes. Which... This is a little bit in Clone Wars, but um, the other Mandalorians he he sees are actually they're part of a radical cult themselves. Um, so there's some there's some manipulating going on in the way they're engaging with him. See, now that makes me want to watch Clone but, Wars. But you know, the, it, it's kind of true. Like the question remains: like who is the true order of Mandalore, and which one is the radicalist? Which one is the cult following? Which is more mainstream? Um, that that whole exchange with, I think they're the ones he meets are in Clone Wars are part of this group called the Death Watch, um, who are already from their name you know you can tell they're probably radicalists. Uh, but I mean that totally plays into the even the idea of re- organized religion and how you have different offshoots, you have radicalists whether it be like radical Islam or you know super strict fundamentalist Christians uh, who follow like this is the way and there's no other way you know. Um, and anyone else is strange to you, but but you're in this like cult following, uh, where that's the only expression of your your order of life. But I think what I love about the fact that he his background is like a religious cult is that there's this moral code that he has to go by. Right, right. 
and I realized that I like characters that have an internal moral code. Moral, yeah. Because there's they always run into situations where there's tension now. Right. right? Well, even and with so Frog Lady, mind... right? Yeah. She says, that's right. I thought honoring one's word was a part of the Mandalorian code. I guess those are just stories for children. Oh, snap. Yeah. yeah. No, and I think that that's why I'm attracted to shows that have that because I love mm. watching people wrestle with that. Yeah. Because I think that's a very human experience. Right. To, especially as Christians, like we know what we ought to do, but we often don't do what we ought to do. Um, and to see that kind of play out with superheroes or, you know, Star Wars and those kinds of things, I think is really yeah. fun, really interesting. So how would you feel if at the end, if they're Gavin if they're following this whole religious moral code cult thing, if at the end he realizes that his Mandalore code was just a sham and, and he it, should just be true to and himself it, and it ends with him being true to himself and taking his helmet <laughs> off and then just embracing freedom and liberty, freedom and liberty without any moral code. That would be a very modern American story. I would be pretty surprised if they did that. Cause I feel like, that wouldn't be a good resolution to the story. But, I mean, uh, who knows? I mean, it's possible, right? <laughs> it's Disney. Follow your dreams. <laughs> yeah, man. Wishes come true. <laughs> uh, that is, I mean, that is potentially a place that this could go, where yeah. it is a deconstruction of his sort of fundamentalist Mandalorian ways. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but, I mean, you know, that's still interesting to watch, too, because there's so much of that happening in our culture. Right. Or how many people have come out to say they're no longer Christians anymore because right, of right. this deconstruction of their faith. Right. You know, I'm kind of hoping the opposite happens because of knowing some of the backstory of the Death Watch and them being the ones that want to actually overthrow the Mandalore Order and, you know, rise up in rebellion. I'm actually kind of hoping Mandalorian, the Mando, sticks to the code and that becomes the way forward over and against the Death Watch group. And the reason why is because I think how much would that speak such a countercultural message to what our, you know, what youth and modern media pushes so much today, like you were saying, Mike, of just be true to yourself, follow your heart, you know, be your own person. But there is this overarching moral code that has to has to have some play on how we make decisions and how we interact with other people because that's what it's been doing for Mando, right? Every episode, his code means he does have to follow it and and keep his word, act with integrity towards the people he's engaging with. Um, and I think that's just something that is definitely lost with our whole, you know, the rise of the individual modern self um, today. I also think it's interesting that the Star Wars universe itself has a religion at the center. Like the Force oh, yeah, the is light a religious, and dark. yeah, uh-huh. light, dark, yin yang, all, all of that. So I feel like that's something that they're not going to do, which is why I say I'm shocked if they did that. I feel like the storyline would go more in what Clark's talking about. So predictions here. Let's see who's right at the we'll end see. of season 15 or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's hope. But I, I appreciate the Star Wars universe for not shying away from that. Stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Unlike, let's yeah. say, the Marvel universe, where there's no religion except for when Captain America mentions God once. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that means he's a total believer. Yeah. Cap yeah, is exactly. a Christian, guys. He's a Christian. Yeah, he refuses to bow down to <laughs> blasphemous Thor because he claims to be God. There's, there's only one God. There's only one guy. He doesn't dress like that. <laughs> Pity God. 
All right, so we one of the topics we wanted we've been wanting to talk about, and I think would even be fitting with this episode, even as we're we're doing a little bit of an offshoot and talking about something like Mandalorian, and we chose to do that because of what's going on. One thing that we need to talk about is how do we choose what we teach, uh, biblically speaking, to our youth students and in our ministries, because. There's a lot of current events that go on. Uh, there's a lot of things that can happen that may influence how we craft our teaching schedule, how we insert things in there. Um, and there's a lot of other people that will say, you know, you just stay the course. You just teach expository Bible studies and you stick to that. And you just you, you teach and preach what the Bible addresses and eventually you'll hit the modern culture. Um, but especially today with so much going on with COVID to the elections uh, to Black Lives Matter and racial injustices. I mean, in this year, 2020, as it stands, there's been so many times where it, it feels like we've had to go out of the normal teaching schedule to address specific topics. So how much do we allow current events to dictate what we teach? How much do we just stay the course? How do you guys choose what to teach and go about that process? Um, I wouldn't put it in terms of how much do I let it dictate as much as like the, the pastoral heart, right? Okay. That, I mean, in understanding what does it mean to be a pastor um, and to be a shepherd to students who are navigating um, adolescence and trying to figure out what does it mean to be a Christian and how does my faith um, not just integrate into my life, but actually direct my right. life and transform my life. Um, and I think we need to uh, equip students to read the Bible. Um, so one of the things we've been trying to do um, is to prioritize helping students um, actually understand how to study their Bible. So we're, um, I guess it's a unintentional plug, but it's a plug for the rooted curriculum that literally is just built around uh, good exegesis of Studying directing students with the kind of three hermeneutical questions of what, so what, and now what, um, walking students through, you know, what does the text say? Uh, so what, what does it mean? And then now what, uh, how am I going to apply this? How does this change my life? Um, and just equipping students in understanding how to read the Bible, especially where, um, we can't do as many programs because of COVID and quarantine right. and everything. So if we're going to equip students and call them, if we're going to call students to study their Bibles, we need to equip them to do it. Um, but at the same time, so we're doing that in our small group ministries, which meet weekly. But the first week of each month, we have a gathered worship service for our students. And during those, I'm teaching a bit more topically on different um, you know, things that are going on and um, applying more doctrinal concerns to their topical, daily, relevant type of issues. So that's kind of how I'm um, bringing together, you know, stick true to scripture and you'll address the things that are going on in life. And then at the same time, kind of having a little bit of flexibility to address some more topical concerns. Yeah, I mean, I like the terms you put it in because to only allow current events to dictate what we preach is, I think, to allow culture to sway us a little bit. Um, 
right? Because then we're always just going to be defined by what we're against or what's going on in the culture rather than what the Bible actually defines Christianity as, as a separate entity unique from the world. But at the same time, I also think that just, you know, just sticking to expository teaching, staying the course, never really addressing in a, especially in a topical fashion, what's going on in the world. I think that's what's got us to where we are today, where we do have a lot of isolated Christian communities that are in this Christian bubble and don't really know how their faith interacts with or even presses up against the culture, um, whether outward or internal, you know, the inward culture that we have that needs addressing the idols of our heart that needs correcting. Um, that's how we saw like things like cultural Christianity come to rise because I think, unfortunately, we did just say, or in the past, churches did just say, we just teach the Bible and that's it. Um, and so that created this this teaching that was never really prophetic or potent enough to, to lead the church forward, uh, especially at crucial junctions. Like I think about, you know, I just always think about Martin Luther King's um, letter from Birmingham jail, where he's addressing all these other white churches and pastoral brothers and kind of saying like, where are you? We need you. Um, and most of them gave this answer of just stay the course. Like, don't ruffle any feathers. God will work things out in his timing. Um, and unfortunately, that's how I think we, we got to where we are today and how things went undressed. And I, I, you know, I think that's just a clear example. That doesn't mean it only happened with race, but I think there's plenty of instances where we can point and see that 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 allowed the church to exist in this vacuum apart from the culture and lose its prophetic edge. Um, the last couple of years we've been walking through um, Lifeway's gospel project, which is essentially a three year um, going through all of the books of the Bible that has been very, very helpful in giving to our students the sort of overarching um, narrative of scripture, the meta narrative. And I think that's been really, really good for us. But what's real, what's been really interesting to your point about topping, uh, about talking about topical talks, um, has been the idea that it has been strangely providential how there have been weeks where things have just lined up, and it's been um, good to reach into current events and pull out illustrations and examples and how this yeah. applies, yeah. but never skipping a beat in terms of um, what we're actually walking through and being committed to going through the gospel project. So in a weird way, I feel like God's really honored that for us. Uh -huh. um, uh, and especially, and this is this has been really cool to see, particularly like big news events happen to, uh, usually also coincide with sort of big tragedies. Sure. And so there have been so many weeks where these kind of horrible things happen. There have been these school shootings and different things like that. And they've kind of lined up with where we happen to be in the gospel project, whether it's through uh, lamentations or through a particular place in the Old Testament. And, uh, you know, let's be honest, a lot of the prophecies of the Old Testament, uh, it's not a happy-go-lucky series to walk through. And yet at the same time, it fell during a time when I felt like our students really needed the comfort of God's word. Um, but also to recognize that there is a very that this is a very sinful, broken world that we're living through. Um, so I do think that there's also something to be said about being faithful to a plan like that. Um, but recognizing obviously that there are things that you do have to to pause and address. So I guess that would be my question to you guys: is like, 
what kind of cultural event or what needs to happen in order for us to really take a step back and say, all right, I was on this schedule. Let's right, say we were right. going, you know, verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. What would make us stop the book of Ephesians to address something, right? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I think for me, one of it is just when, if it's something that is so obvious that my silence says something, that right. I need to say something. Right. Even if what I say, and, and I've done this before, is to say, um, you know, hey, this this thing happened. Um, we need to pray about this. We yeah. need to think about this. We need to be deliberate to think Christianly and be gospel people about this. I'm still gathering my thoughts. I'm not ready to speak on it right now tonight, but we're going to be talking about this. Or, or you know that like yeah, because there are times when um. You're just not ready to to talk about it yet or, you know, you're still gathering your thoughts or you, you know that like you still have to do some hard work as you process things, especially about like, you know, all this um, racial um, tension and for as a white dude, um, there are times when it's just like I, this is a time for me to listen, not for a time for me to tell the students what they should be doing. Sure. And I need to model listening to them. So, like, you're talking specifically about, let's say, um, uh, racial injustice, right? And that's, you know, that's something that popped up all over the country pretty right. much in every single major city. There was a protest, and you had a ton of co students that were probably asking you guys questions about this kind of stuff or posting things, right, or having a voice and saying things. And so I feel like that is definitely one of those things where if you don't say anything, you not saying anything communicates just as much as you saying something. Right, right. Um, but what about things that are, uh, you know, and there's local things too, like if there are some tragedies that happen on a local level, um, those are de absolutely things that you want to address because they're happening to your church body. Um, but what about things like, for example, uh, politics? Or, for example, when Tom Brady leaves the Patriots <laughs> and goes to the Buccaneers. Um, <laughs> we spent a couple weeks in Lamentations and talking about grief here in youth group. And um, we wept with those who wept. So. Or when Justin Bieber got married. You know, those are all, <laughs> those are all big deals. Hey, he was at, reading at the moment. Meaning a Marriage. He yeah, was. That's, that's right. <laughs> It is a great book. We just went through that yeah. again. So good. I so for the whole yeah, the whole question of when do you choose to pause and address something, I think I think similar to what Mike was saying for me, if it's just so obvious, like especially if it's a national tragedy or something that's just so affecting the hearts and minds of the students, um, that I want to use this as an opportunity to ask what does the Bible have to say about this topic? Um, to help shape our minds. And I think, to me, the extent of how much we do that is also to the extent of how much our minds need to be shaped more by Scripture and how much it's still being shaped, whether by modern media or social media or their friends and their peers. Um, to me, will determine how much and how often to talk about it. Um, so, like, one example, for instance, is when I was in youth ministry— we would do a dating series, like an extended dating series, probably every, I don't know, two to three years. But then we would do these question nights, Q&A nights is what we called them. And we would always get a ton of dating related questions. And to me, that 
that kind of helped me realize and helped me see that this was such a topic that was such on their minds that I needed to address it more than just once every couple years. And so after that, we started to do a yearly addressing of dating. And some years it was just like one night where we talk about it as more of like a reminder. And then some years it would be a lengthier extended study in it. Um, but just things that I really felt like these were areas where the gospel still needed to take captive the thoughts of these students in the present culture they're in and to shape and form them. And, and even to your point, Kevin, about the prophets, you look at everything the prophets spoke, it was taking the, the law, the Decalogue, and the law of Moses uh, in the Pentateuch, and then applying it to Israel's modern context, the way where you know, the Canaanite nations, their idolatry, or their transgressions of the covenant of God was, was shaping them more than the law itself. And so the prophets had to insert themselves and prophetically speak the law to address their current circumstances. So I think there's a lot of precedence for that, um, even biblically in scripture, of how we need to ask the question, th- and not going away from scripture, obviously, like still addressing it with scripture, but but maybe not being so expository that all we do is just stick with Bible study, but but we allow that study of the Bible to address where we're at right now. So how do you make sure that you don't allow yourself to address every topic trending news story because and just get tossed to and yeah, fro and like, yeah uh-huh. there's just, there's always something going on right right that you that you know someone somewhere is going to tell you you need to talk about this um and you need to spend a series talking about this not just a one-off you need right, to you right. need to take a month to talk about this or that or whatever so how do you filter through what is i, I hate saying what's important enough Right. But what what is you know absolutely crucial to address? Yeah, I think for me this would go back to the broader question too of how do we just choose our teaching schedule in general. Um, so the short answer is I would say, and this is what what we did when I was in my youth ministry, and even now with the college young adults that I lead, asking what are the the core questions that demographic is wrestling with and how we need to shape their identity in Christ in these areas, these topics, those will become regular things we'll hit. Um, But also, I mean, even to what you guys were saying of like being grounded in scripture, staying the course, like prayerfully in the spirit, planning a series and, and letting it ride out. So even with, with youth ministry, the way I saw our teaching schedule was we wanted to set them up to understand all the core components of life in Christ, discipleship. And so each year was crafted around one major theme and we would choose topics around that theme. So actually in all my time in youth ministry, I always taught topically, but it was probably more of like a biblical theological topic than like current events topic. And my reason for that was because I wanted to think about the, the biblical or spiritual diet of the youth as a whole in the whole church knowing that they got expository teaching week by week on a Sunday morning so that when we met for our youth on a Friday night or Wednesday night for wherever you're at, um, that was a specific place we could address these topics of biblical theology and youth following Christ. Um, and just trusting that they'll, they'll have a balanced diet, hopefully. So that's what I, how I think about it too. Do they have a balanced diet? And if if my teaching place is the only place they're getting it, then am I just giving them like, 
what people often call like the junk food, right? Just the, the current event stuff without being grounded in the biblical. But I was trusting that the preaching on Sunday was reinforcing and, and giving them that foundation. I want to make sure, like, I like what Clark said about this idea of balanced diet. So I always want to make sure there was a mixture of like purely topical things just to address some stuff that again is like heart level, um, really uh, age, age oriented stuff, um, like the dating, um, like the sexuality, like, uh, friendships and conflict and those kinds of things, but also making sure that there was at least one or two like straight exegetical verse by verse walking through, um, expository, uh, walking through each verse of the Bible. Um, so we'd always do a new Testament book and an old Testament book. Um, we tried to do a series like that. The, and again, the last couple of years, as I mentioned, we switched over and did the gospel project. But with regards to sort of shaping them to think about things from a cultural or worldview perspective, we always did what we called summer studies in the summer. And that was just kind of gathering data throughout the year. What are the things that the students are most interested in? And then we'd have a variety of book books. So anywhere between four and five books. And the idea is whatever topic you're interested in, you sign up to read that book with one of our uh, teachers. Uh, and the idea is you would get a deep dive into the particular topic that you were interested in. And so we'd always have three or four sort of cultural topics. And then we'd always do one sort of bigger theological um, book for those that really wanted to do a deep dive into theology. And so that that kind of worked out for us. And it was really cool to see students that normally wouldn't be interested in doing any sort of study. But then because it was a topical thing that they were really interested in, they would actually join that study and read an entire book throughout the summer. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's good. Smart. Yeah, and I think that's where we can use the the natural rhythms of our whether it's like the church calendar or the life calendar of people. I mean, students are centered around school calendar, right? So I, I think that the the natural calendar and rhythms they go through allows us to do that, where we can take some breaks and naturally go into some more topical series for an extended period and then come back and get back to the expository or exegetical teaching series. Yeah, and I, I generally have taken a approach similar, Clark, to what you said, in that um, since our students are in the the – main gathered worship service, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, which is always expository um, yeah. and pretty much just going through books in the Bible. Um, I, I've felt a bit more freedom to be more topical um, yeah. in my youth ministry teaching. Um, but I always, uh, whether or not I start in scripture or start in culture, I always want to trans translate the other. So um, if you start right. in scripture, then you lead them through thinking about how does this impact our culture. And if you start in culture, then you always want to lead them from culture to scripture and what the scriptures have to say about that. Um, so that way our, our biblical worldview and our life and culture are actually in alignment yeah rather than in conflict yeah i think it's really good so there's um, just two different starting points but yeah the same the same heartbeat and and overall you'll get the same outcome regardless of where you start if you if you entirely if you always start in scripture and end in culture and if you always start in culture and then lead to scripture scripture yeah uh, i think i'm not sure that you would get the same outcome if you always take the same approach. right sure sure but i think having I, a bit i think you want to have a balanced yeah diet. i'm just yeah. saying that like whichever way at the end of that specific teaching the outcome will still be scripture addressing culture yeah yes 
and and interacting with worldview. I you know yeah. I think um, thinking about that too. Something I found, and I I want to say this carefully because I don't know who's listening, but I and this is not to toot my own horn, but I always felt <laughs> like and heard from other people in our church that they thought the youth had a better biblically shaped worldview than a lot of the adults even. Um, just because in, at least in our church, we didn't have a natural space where adults, once they were out of youth and college and adult ministries to, to get those more topical series. Um, it was primarily on Sundays, which is not to say anything negative or lacking in the Sunday preaching of the word, but, but just that extra space to really ask tough questions and see how does scripture address it or look at scripture and then ask how it addresses culture in this topical form. Um, but that was embedded and built into the youth ministry. And so, um, that was something I just thought was so valuable to have both of those for the youth, especially shaping their worldview at such an earlier age that hopefully provide a foundation for them beyond those years. I mean, um, hoping and praying that that work continues on. That's really good, actually, to point out how much the shape of the gatherings kind of also help us navigate through what we need to be teaching. So for you guys, um, you guys have your youth in the main services with the adults right. on Sundays. Yeah, uh, Our group doesn't do that. And so we have the opportunity to address them on Sunday differently from what we would address them because we do our midweeks on Friday nights. Uh-huh. And so those are different things. Um, and I think a lot of what you guys are talking about doing in your midweeks, we're doing the same things on Fridays, but we're also able to pull a little bit of that out and also do on Sundays as well. And those are different audiences too, because not everybody who comes midweek sure. is, is there for, or sorry, the other way around. Not everybody who's there on Sunday is there for the midweek. Right, right. Yeah. 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 And even, I mean, even thinking about that, who's there, um, most of our seekers, non-believers, and people just weren't part of the church would come to our midweek gathering because that was the natural youth space to go, right? The Sundays were more likely the ones who were already committed to the church or their families went to the church. So that was also part of our, our philosophy was not to be like a seeker-driven youth ministry, but if we can deal with real topics and give deep theological answers— that can draw those non-believers that are coming in to see the answer being in Christ in the gospel and then hopefully funnel them eventually if they come to Christ and become disciples and followers, lead them to commit to Sunday mornings. Um, and and again, not to say that the pre-expository preaching of the word can't do that, but just I think when you're in youth ministry and they're in such a, you know, such a special segment of their lives where everything is their demographic, their age group, and they're wrestling through all these questions to do so in such a, poignant and deep way, um, we felt and we found really helped that because so much of our audience in our midweek were from, were non-believers or from non-believing families and homes. Yeah. And I, I do suspect that it's easier, um, and better received to talk through some of these more complicated, um, topics with students than it is with, adults who have been entrenched in their opinions and views, um, you know, sometimes even for decades. Right. right. Um, and I think that's part of what we need to be really careful about. Um, and so that would, that's, I think some of where there might be some disagreement over things of, um, if, if parents really feel strongly about certain, um, issues and whatever, um, how do we 
how do we honor parents, right. how we talk about these issues and whatever. And when, especially where we see so much in, in politics and in justice issues. I mean, I know quite a few students um, just in my own ministry who have gotten into like some real heated arguments in the last few months with their parents because yeah. their parents aren't woke enough and they aren't, you know, they, they disagree with this and that and whatever. And so it's just that that pastoral concern that we need to have and yeah. practice with um, honoring parents while we are also leading students and equipping them to think biblically about their worldview. I, I think there's something to be said there, though, and something that we were talking about in our exchange, Mike, around how much we address current events, but in making sure we're not doing things in a vacuum as a youth ministry, but we're co-laboring and partnering with the the other pastors and teachers in the church. Um, so whether it's the senior pastor preaching on Sundays or the associate who's leading, you know, adult Bible studies or small groups and that curriculum, but but having some unity and agreement over how to address things because then we can address the youth and they can help address the adults, the parents, and we can have fruitful conversation both ways. Um, and in that way, if we can partner with them, then even the way that we address things with the youth, I think can have even some awareness with the parents because I've, even, I've gotten in trouble sometimes actually where I've taught a series to the youth without properly communicating it, whether to the other pastors or the parents. And the parents came back and were actually a little bit shocked that they didn't have a heads up. And that was a learning experience for me where I needed to be a better team player in communicating with both parents as the main disciplers and also the other pastors say, hey, if we're going to address this and we're going to get pushback, I need you to help address it with the adults too, whether it's Sunday morning or through a special class. And I found that to be really helpful in holistically with the families, uh, walking them together through shaping their biblical worldview. Any final thoughts? Um, I know this is obvious, but I do think that it's crucial to just let everybody know that like prayer is a huge part of how you prepare for yeah. what you teach. Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. want to skip over that or assume that. Yeah. Um, but I do want to underline that because I do think there are lots and lots of there's I mean, the choices are so vast in terms of like if you knew that you had a month where you could teach anything that you wanted to. There is so much of me that I want to put into there. There's so much of my students that I want to put into there, but I never want to forget the idea that I'm a messenger and that God has something he wants to communicate to the students. And so I think prayer is so crucial when we, whenever we're thinking about what it looks like to launch a new series or launch a new plan or, or just at the beginning of the year when you're planning out all the various series that you're going to do, um, so important to spend time praying. Amen. Well, with that, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Thanos to Theos. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you enjoy the upcoming Mandalorian episode. And also as we're continuing to navigate how we address our culture and teach in this crazy time. If you want more grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated resources, again, be sure to check out our website, www.rootedministry.com. And also head on over to our Thanos to Theos, uh, our social media and our Instagram at Thanos to Theos, or send us an email or check us out on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Washing hands. I have spoken. This is the way. (laughs) I have spoken. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thanos to Theos, part of the Rooted Network family of podcasts. 
For more resources designed to equip and encourage you to faithfully disciple students towards lifelong faith in Jesus Christ, be sure to find Rooted on the web at www.rootedministry.com.